This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Every time I close my eyes. I do hold the government responsible because they have the power. It is their watch, so they have the responsibility not to split the people apart. Bring a reform in a much more reasonable way. You cannot really push such a reform in terms of the scope and in terms of the speed that they're wrecking down the throat of half of the people of Israel. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. The idea here that we could be on the verge of, literally, I don't know if people abroad really fully appreciate this, the idea of coming apart, I'm sorry, is simply horrible. The government has sort of driven with a 500-pound sledgehammer this reform program, you know, I'll show you. Israel is very much an I'll show you political system. I think this is gaslighting to claim that uh, somehow or another by giving unlimited powers, uh, judicial figures, and they are unlimited powers, we're going to be protecting minorities, or protecting civil rights, that's simply not the record. You are going to rein back then on this current yes, proposal? Yes, I, I said that. How but significantly? I, well, I said that there's not going to be uh, uh, this unlimited power. When you want to restrain unlimited power, you don't go and give the parliament unlimited power over the court. But that's what they say this current no, bill no, does. No, I explained very clearly. That, as far as I'm concerned, that will not happen. I think a lot of people go to these uh, demonstrations. They're patriotic Israelis. They want the good of the country. But a lot of them don't actually know the details of the bills, just like the, I just described. So all these people protesting just don't get it. Many, many of them don't. Many of them... Isn't that slightly patronizing, Prime Minister? No, to, I don't think to so. To tell your own people no. who are protesting hundreds of I didn't say that all of them don't, but many of them it, don't. They just don't understand. Mr. Netanyahu! Is democracy under threat in Israel? Did you break the law last night? There was a, a, a war-like atmosphere all, all around. It was deeply disturbing because it came from an internal clash. Um, it was deeply disturbing because it came at a time when external security threats are reaching a fever pitch. A full-scale revolt uniting left and right, making activists of everyday people. Mass protests against the coalition government's proposals to overhaul the judiciary intensified. The coalition already started passing bills to curb the judiciary, empower parliamentary democracy, but a more singular stream of government elected by the people. So what is the status quo the protesters actually support?
Is backing a judicial elite any better? Are the protesters really in favour of an unelected legal executive striking down policy from elected governments? Is challenging so-called judicial activism overdue? How many laws have they actually struck down over the years? Among the throng of thousands and thousands, how much is frustration of those at losing power who see the judiciary as a bulwark, a secular opposition to a growing cohort of the ultra-religious? Are the protests a defence of democracy or a fixation on the six times elected, longest-serving Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, who finally ended years of political impasse by actually winning an election in Israel and instituting these radical reforms? And is he only doing this to swerve a conviction for public corruption, torching democracy to avoid jail? He passed that through Knesset before the pause. Is one side completely right and one completely wrong? There are two versions of democracy being fought over, and clearly both have their limitations. Opposition figures claiming that this will destroy democracy and and encouraging encouraging acts uh, uh, that should not be done, acts of violence, uh, divestment by foreign uh, uh, investors, encouraging people to not serve in, uh, uh, in the army. I mean, I think those are doing great damage to Israel, and I wish that they would stop the gaslighting and start speaking realistically about how it is that we can uh, uh, adopt a reform package that's acceptable to the maximum number of people. That's Professor Avi Bell from the Kohelet Policy Forum, the very think tank who devised the overhaul plans, and we've heard very, very little from them publicly. We hear the intellectual grist behind their plans right here. Mr. Netanyahu can't expect to get the complete undiluted reforms package through. Perhaps he always knew that. So was this just a cynical attempt to secure the things important to him? Let's take a moment, take a breath, take stock, and look at this from a distance, with perspective. Amid the fever pitch of people who've already decided, who gave up listening to another viewpoint long ago, blood-curdling, doomsday rhetoric from people who should really know better. Let's examine all of it. You're going to hear from all corners of this debate, those who accuse Netanyahu of aping Hungary's Orban, plus an exclusive with that senior fellow from the think tank who dreamt up these plans. Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Bringing Israel and the diaspora together. We were forewarned judicial reform was a cornerstone of the new coalition's pledge. This is Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, Fleur Hassan Nahum, who spoke to me soon after the Likud-led coalition resumed power. Curtailing the very expansive powers of judicial review of the Israeli Supreme Court. A lot of people are very panicked about this and all we're trying to do is be more a little bit like UK and the US. So I love this kind of fake outrage from people who don't know what they're talking about. And what are the issues within that Supreme Court? What, well, what, what, main, what, what do the left worry about? Well, the left worry about the protection of minority rights. Um, and, you know, I understand their concern because ultimately the Supreme Court is the only real check and balance over the legislature and the executive. However... The um, Supreme Court has taken powers for itself um, and become, it's called judicial activism. In other words, 
they're acting like legislators. And so a lot of people are saying, well, this means that this is not balanced. The other issue that I have with the, uh, with the Supreme Court is that it's um, the way that it's elected is that the, the judges themselves have veto power on who they let in. So basically they're only letting in their friends. And their friends are a very small section of the population, you know, in other words, much less Sephardis than should be, mm. and all sorts of other kind of... Yeah. It's the one percenters that live in yeah. one place that think of things in one way. Yeah. And so there should be a little bit more diversity in the Supreme Court, more women, uh, more, more uh, Sephardis, minorities, Arabs. And so this is, you know, these are things that have to be done. But again, you know, everything is doomsday. When the right wing is in power, whether it's here with the Conservative Party or whether it's in Israel or whether it's in America with Trump, you know, the press kind of conspire with these doomsday scenarios that in the end never happen. And even if there's a little budget here and there, it's legitimate, there's a new government. Mr. Netanyahu, is democracy under threat in Israel? Did you break the law last night? The protests followed Mr. Netanyahu to London. A sit-down and an informal photographic session with a few words and handshakes between the leaders is what normally happens at Downing Street. Not this time. Mr. Netanyahu walked in, chatted with Rishi Sunak and walked out in front of the media cordon. Um, following the success of this protest, I think we developed an appetite for, for more results. Okay, so there are all kinds of kind of anti-democratic um, laws that they plan to, to pass. So a full victory would be to stop those as well. We will not align with this violent government. We will not shut our eyes towards this darkness. We will not shut our eyes. Ein Lezion Sophia Tamid. The protesters against the reforms and Palestinians and their sympathizers who want to destroy democracy and with it, Israel altogether. Mr. Netanyahu addressed the world in fluent American English via Piers Morgan Uncensored on Talk TV, even before announcing a delay to pushing through the reforms back home. Israel is in turmoil at the moment facing what some fear could turn out to be civil war. Okay. Fears of a potential third intifada. Is this your biggest challenge right now? It's a very big challenge, but I, I think that the prospects for Israel are great. I think there is a, a lot of concern about the democratic judicial reform that we want to move ahead with. But people think that it's going to, uh, uh, to result in a, in a fissure that I don't think will last, because people will see at the end that Israel was a democracy, is a democracy, and will be even a stronger democracy after this democratic reform. So I think, uh, I think you're right, there's a lot of tension right now, I, and I wish it wasn't so, but uh, I'm, I'm quite confident that we'll get over this, uh, this difficulty because, you know, you have to reform things that get ossified, and in Israel what we've had is uh, the ossification of the, 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 the imbalance between the three branches of government that has to be corrected. This happened in the last 20 years. It's been building up, building up, building up, and people say, we want to correct that. And, you know, people who are used to one thing don't want to correct it. A watershed moment. What many of us had anticipated. 
finally, a senior government minister and Likud party loyalist did come out against his boss. Defence chief Yoav Gallant was sacked for what amounted to sage advice. I'm for the reforms. Just slow it down. But the former general of Southern Command in the IDF described the planned legislation as an immediate and tangible danger to state security. He tweeted, The state of Israel's security has always been and will always be my life's mission, shortly after his dismissal. Hundreds of thousands more were triggered to flood the streets and highways after that. Cops used water cannon outside the PM's house as protesters marched through barriers. And Israel's largest trade union, Histadrut, called for its 800,000 membership to strike nationwide, threatening to paralyze the economy. Departing flights from the Ben-Gurion International Airport were grounded. Large shopping mall chains and universities shut their doors in health, transit, banking and other fields too. Local governments closed the preschools they run, while the main doctors' union announced its members would also walk out. So who is Yoav Gallant and why did his sacking send such shockwaves through Israel's defence and security establishment and society at large? Professor Chuck Freilich is Israel's former Deputy National Security Advisor, Political Science Professor at Harvard, Columbia, NYU and Tel Aviv Universities, and author of How Israel Makes National Security Policy and Israeli National Security, A New Strategy for an Era of Change. Here he is speaking on the IDDF podcast, which I produce. Well, he was a former IDF general who was actually... He was the appointee to become chief of staff, and at the last minute, due to what by today's standard would be considered an insignificant uh, housing irregularity, lost the position at the last minute. He's a hardliner. He is a man who has been totally loyal to Netanyahu until now. The irony of history is that he was fired for warning of the dangers. And just all he said is, I support the reforms, let's just slow it down and do it more consensually. And 24 hours later, or not even, uh, Netanyahu announces that that's exactly what he's doing. The Israeli defense establishment, the IDF and the intelligence services were on the verge of coming apart. Now, that is a remarkable statement that I never in my worst nightmares imagined that I could ever say. But in the course of three, three months, This government brought us uh, to that point. And you can agree or disagree with the judicial reforms, but I don't think any one of us wanted that kind of outcome uh, to be the price of this. But was this outcome predictable? Yaakov Lapin, military and strategic affairs analyst for the Miriam Institute, says Mr. Netanyahu ignored the writing on the wall. There was a a, a warlike atmosphere all, all around. It was deeply disturbing because it came from an internal clash um, it was deeply disturbing because it came at a time when external security threats are reaching a fever pitch. And I think, you know, you know, you touched on something very important. Was this predictable? Could this have been seen? Um, I think that um, had uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his coalition partners um, stopped for just one moment and listened to people like the defense minister, Yoav Galat, who delivered exactly this warning um, on the on the desk of Netanyahu and was fired for it, was fired for telling the truth. 
I think, you know, the signs were everywhere that we were heading for this kind of crisis. And it was ignored because it was not politically expedient uh, to listen to, to these warnings. So, you know, this is a real sort of messy intersection between politics and national security and strategy, but it's impossible to separate these things any anymore. And the harm that has already been caused um, to Israel's resilience, to Israel's unity, um, to Israel's international standing, to its deterrence in the eyes of its enemies. All of these things will take a, a while to repair. I believe that they can be repaired, but it will take a long time. And when the Prime Minister finally addressed the Israeli people, after peers, by the way, it was positively biblical. Citizens of Israel. 3,000 years ago in Jerusalem, Solomon's trial occurred. Two women came in front of Solomon and each one claimed that she's the real mother of that baby. King Solomon suggested to bring a sword and cut the baby in half. One woman was willing to tear the baby in two, but the second woman refused profusely and insisted that the baby would stay alive and whole. Even today, both sides of this national debate claim to love the baby, to love our country. I'm aware of the increased tension that's happening between the two parts of the country. I'm listening to many citizens to release this tension. But there is one thing that I'm not willing to accept. There is one minority that's willing to tear this country into pieces. It encourages violence, ignites fires, threatens to hurt politicians and blames civil war and calls for refusal, which is a terrible crime. The country of Israel cannot be without the IDF, and the IDF cannot be with refusal. I had a thorough exchange with a senior member of the House of Lords who told me this on WhatsApp. Johnny, there are two sides to an argument, but this is a different argument. Israel will have democratic features, like Russia has democratic features. And there's no protection if ministers can fetter the courts from applying the law. Rough and tumble politics, this isn't. It's about a new declaration of what an independent state of Israel is, with all the consequences that would flow from it. The call for national dialogue, like in the case of President Herzog, is not that this is about a national debate. It's a call for those who want to change Israel to an authoritarian and fundamentalist regime to stop. Johnny, it's not a you versus me thing. And I love what you do in getting broad and interesting voices and creating a fascinating dialogue with them. I just think you have to appreciate that this is really different. Mainstream banks are questioning the potential legal framework in Israel and its protection for investment funds. This is not about the BDS crew. It's about Israel choosing a different path, and which is likely to be very uncomfortable for many, many people in times ahead. Most importantly, the argument that Israel has shared values with the West will no longer be as valid. There are many ways to look at how you staff the judiciary, but the principle of an independent judiciary 
is the fundamental of democracy, not that it's the vassal of democratically elected politicians. And that's the very definition of an authoritarian regime. So for those of us in the diaspora who are with Israel, it matters what it does. All I'm saying is that by adopting this position, those that adhere to it are moving from one set of values to another one, rather like how Viktor Orban is seen in Europe. And it's why there are such concerns about its impact and how it will divide its own society and the perception of this who deal with it or even support it. Those who think this is the right course of action should be aware that even though they don't think it, they are now a part of a different point of view that can no longer be considered moderate. Thank you to my friend in the House of Lords. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Longtime BB supporters came out against him. Benjamin Anthony, CEO of the Miriam Institute, says Netanyahu's usual cast-iron instincts have deserted him on this. He writes, Leaders who once viewed you as a steady presence in Israel now look on you as presiding over self-sown chaos, facing popular revolt, resulting from an unnecessary reform. Mr. Prime Minister, adding the Saudis is still possible. It's more difficult now. But if, and it's a big if, anyone is capable of bringing them aboard, it's you. And that is where your focus ought to be. You must end this internecine battle against the court or face having your legacy sullied by the most egregious of self-inflicted wounds. You're inflicting upon Israel a brutish, societal rend. Our people have only ever been able to combat the myriad threats we face from without by way of our overarching cohesiveness within. The damage this reform is causing is already such that if ever this wound is healed, it will bind into a scar that is pronounced jagged and festering. Piers Morgan's interview with the Israeli Prime Minister highlighted the peril Israel was wrapped in. This is uncharted territory for Israel. And you've got army general staff, senior military officials, who believe this is now imperiling the security of Israel. And you've always positioned yourself, I know this because you've told me yourself before, as Israel's Mr. Security. Well, let's, let's uh, again, if you'd allow me to answer the of question, course, I will. Okay, so the first thing is, I think, balancing the uh, judicial, uh, having the judges not select themselves, which is what this bill is about, is not only, does not only uh, weaken democracy, it strengthens democracy, because in all other democracies, in all other democracies, with the exception of the UK, and there may be one more exception, the judges do not choose themselves, the elected officials do. And that's what this bill does, and I think it's right. On the other hand, there is one consideration that the critics and the opponents of this judicial reform 
uh, uh, raise, and I think it's a valid concern, and that is you want to go from one extreme to the center. You don't, you don't want the pendulum to swing to the mm. other side where the Knesset, our parliament, can nullify any decision of the Supreme Court. And I think that requires a balance. I agree with that. So it has to be in so the So you center. are going to rein back then on this current yes, proposal? Yes, yes. I, I said that. How that significantly? I, well, I said that there's not going to be uh, uh, this unlimited power. When you want to restrain unlimited power, you don't go and give the parliament unlimited power over the court. But that's what they say this current no, bill no, does. I explained very clearly that as far as I'm concerned, that will not happen. So I think you need to reach the, the happy center. Now, the other thing is, look, I don't want the army, you know, look, I think a lot of people go to these uh, demonstrations. They're patriotic Israelis. They want the good of the country. But a lot of them don't actually know the details of the bills, just like the, I just described. They don't even know that the leaders of the opposition that are now going to these demonstrations, they themselves argued that the court, the way we select judges, should be changed. They themselves did it before the election. So all these people protesting just don't get it? Many, many of them don't. Many of them... Isn't that slightly patronizing, Prime Minister? No, to, I don't think to so. To tell your own people no. who are protesting in hundreds of thousands... I didn't thousands. say that all of them don't. No, but you implied it. Don't. They just don't understand. Well, listen, you have to see the mainstream media in Israel that is going uh, on this uh, like a huge, huge, huge propaganda campaign. Well, the, ad the added complication for you is that you, of course, are still going through an ongoing trial that is suspended while you're prime minister for corruption and bribery. It's not suspended at all. It's going on all the time. So it's going on? It's going on. And in fact, it's unraveling. The charges, the, uh, uh, the, main, the charges that were uh, put before me were ridiculous. And they're just unraveling in the court. You're discovering things like prosecutorial uh, intimidation of witnesses, the blackmailing of witnesses. Uh, changing, uh, uh, tampering with but, evidence. But here's the point. Uh, so all of that is coming out. And Brother, that you would will be, agree. You would that agree. will be dealt with in the trial. The judges that are going to decide uh, this case have already been selected. Mm. They will not be affected but by here's this the legal point. reform. Here's the point I was going to make. Mm -hmm. Is twofold. One, the Attorney General, uh, Ghali Baharov Miara, says you've broken the law by directly involving yourself in an overhaul of the judiciary when you're facing an ongoing corruption trial. She said it was illegal and tainted by a conflict of interest. That's completely false. Uh, I maintain the same uh, conflict of interest restraints and I'm abiding by every consideration that my case is not going to be affected by this legal reform one iota. But what happened but if it to insist, I am the Prime Minister of Israel. Mm. Israel is going through the most acute crisis in many years. Uh, you yourself said how important it is mm. to say that the Prime Minister of Israel cannot deal with something to try to bring a resolution to this crisis, cannot speak about it, cannot try to resolve this issue, cannot take care of the security of the country, which you yourself say mm. may be, uh, may be uh, uh, impacted by this. Mm. This, is, this is absurd. If it, was a, if it was an opposition leader who was in power, who was going through a corruption and bribery trial, I don't think you'd have the same view. I think, you would exactly say, the same. I think you'd say there's a clear conflict no, of interest here. I'd, I'd say no, there isn't, because the trial or my legal proceedings are completely unaffected by the, this reform. So the Attorney General, I mean, if, if the statement is that you've broken the law, you're saying as Prime Minister of Israel, the Attorney General's wrong about the law. Well, of course I'm saying it. I said it openly and well, mm. it's not a question. We have a disagreement on that. In fact, that's going to be brought up uh, uh, in court proceedings. Uh, I think it's wrong. I think I, as Prime Minister of Israel, have a responsibility to see if I can somehow bring a conclusion to this uh, impasse, somehow bring a, a resolution so we have 
responsible judicial democratic reform and at the same time keep the country together. Who's going to do that if not the prime minister? Yeah, but your, your point is that the judiciary has got too much power. Yeah. Uh, but what you want to do, and this is again from your critics, and there are a lot of them, and I, again, to repeat, they're not just people on the opposition. This is, you know, the voices across the, across the divide here on this. They say what you're pushing for is a form of autocratic rule, where the one remaining check and balance on your power as prime minister is just evaporated, and you ultimately can then determine judge selection, you can determine what laws pass or don't pass. You become the overriding autocratic leader, as they have in many countries where there are genuine autocracies, of the kind that you talked about in 2012 now, in that speech. You keep repeating these, uh, these uh, shibboleths and these, uh, these absurdities. Uh, I made Israel the most liberal country uh, among the most liberal countries on the planet. I liberalized its uh, economy, turned it from a straight uh, jacketed uh, socialist economy to a free market economy uh, that benefited the entire people. I uh, brought in uh, investments into the Arab sector more than all the previous governments combined. I, uh, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, the leader of the gay cell in the Likud, my party, I nominated to be the Speaker of the Knesset, the third highest position in the country. And he was elected not because he's gay, he was elected because he's very good. Uh, but that's the liberal position that I've always espoused and espouse now. To try to paint me as some uh, third world autocrat is ridiculous. I believe in the balance. I'm a classic Democrat with a small d. I don't want to get into trouble with my American friends. But I'm a, I'm a, a, a classic believer in the balance between the three branches of government. That's what ensures democracy. And it's been thrown off balance in Israel. We have to bring it back. It will not give any power. I do not select. What happens no, when the Supreme I do not select the judges. In fact, they'll be selected by uh, by a, a composite committee. It's not important right now, but the majorities, minorities, they all have their place in there. So this is complete falsehood. But what propaganda. are the concessions you're going to make from the current bill to appease those who say what you're doing is taking it from one extreme pendulum in your the, eyes the most, to another? The most, important thing, the most important thing is indeed to restrain the power of the parliament to uh, strike down any decisions that the Supreme Court makes. I think the Supreme Court deserves its place under the sun, its powers, but it just has to be, uh, there are no checks and balances right now in Supreme Court power. So you want to get some checks and balances on that, but you don't want to eliminate checks and balances on the uh, on But the you parliament. want to stop the Supreme Court from interfering in any... No, 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 no. It's, it's called uh, against basic laws, which form uh, the constitutional framework, mm. if you will. But you don't uh, have a not, constitution, do you? No, well, the, the Supreme Court argues that we do already. Mm. Or the or the, founder, the uh, Supreme, former Supreme Court president said that the basic laws that have been enacted form a constitutional framework. So that those, in any case, those laws, in my opinion, have to be protected. Uh, the Supreme Court can't challenge them, but it can challenge other laws. And the question is, what is the majority that is required in the Supreme Court to strike down a law? That's, I, I won't get into the, the right. weeds of What they're going to do, surely, the Supreme Court, they will try and strike down this. So what do you do as a prime minister that wants to do this if the Supreme Court exercises what it believes to be its right to strike down your bill? Well, I think that there's a, it's never happened before that the Supreme Court strikes down basic law. This is a basic law. And I don't think they're about to do it. And I, I hope really? they won't. They've never had such a direct attack on their authority. It's not, well, then the question is, should they be able to uh, 
<laughs> to judge that, to, to, you know, that's a question. Well, it seems that the people of Israel who are protesting every week and all these eminent people who are commenting about this, they prefer the current situation to one where the power moves to the prime well, minister. Well, it, it doesn't move to the prime minister. It's got nothing to do with it. The prime minister gets no to power. To politicians. Yeah. To, well, then you have to ask yourself, if that were the case, I don't see any democracy that has such extreme powers of the Supreme Court as in Israel. There's no such democracy. So are they not democracies? Are they dictatorships? Of course not. They're perfect. When you are trying to take some power away from any branch of government, and in this case from the judiciary, they don't want to take it away. Right now you have a situation where 15 unelected uh, members of the Supreme Court effectively govern Israel. They can decide things that affect our military, our economy, our foreign relations, our battle with terrorism. Is that right? Is that democratic? No, it's not democratic. You want to correct it. Israel is democratic in the sense that you vote for a government, but when you vote for a government, you want that government to govern. Right now, the powers of that government to govern are severely restricted by a Supreme Court that has more powers than any other, in any other democracy on earth. You don't say that those other democracies are somehow tainted, are somehow not democratic, because they've, uh, they have a better balance of power. And trying to balance it is difficult, I grant you that. You can see how difficult it is. Right. I don't deny it. And I understand the concerns of those who are generally, generally worried about the, the future of Israel, but so am I. And I would not let Israel become less democratic. I want it to be more democratic. You've always been a politician, it strikes me, who's got an instinct for what the people are thinking. You must be aware the scale of this is like nothing you've ever had to deal with in any of your terms of office, any Israeli prime minister. Mm -hmm. you, this is unprecedented for you. And there comes a point when if you're just going to keep pushing up against this gigantic, ever-growing hill of opposition, including you know, members of your own government who said they should, you should stop this and negotiate, what is your response to that? Well, you know, I was the first one to call for negotiations, even, even though I was in a curious position, because they told me you can't deal with the, the actual uh, workings of the bill, so I didn't. I actually didn't. But I did call on the opposition to join the coalition, the government, to discuss uh, reaching some kind of compromise. And I've called for three months, and they haven't come. So you ask yourself, and when they say, let's halt it, I say, well, you just wasted three months. Why don't you come in and talk? Get into the room, start say saying what your concerns are, like the ones you raised here. Mm -hmm. we'll, uh, uh, our people will give their responses. We can, uh, I, I think we can figure out uh, a middle way that will be, I, I think, successful. Ah, but what about unity, not uniformity? That's the innate strength of the Jewish people. The eternal reset amid the crises of beliefs and moments of disaster in our long history. While other people slip down authoritarian, top-down, follow-the-leader cultures, Jews love to debate, to argue, and our society is much flatter than others, whether it's in the diaspora or Israel. Just ask Israel's former ambassador to the United States, Danny Ayalon. This taken from the IDDF podcast. I'm much more optimistic. Cooling uh, heads will prevail. And my main concern, before anything else, is the unity of the Israeli people and the Jewish people worldwide. When I say unity, you know, it has to be, I think, very much uh, pointed out that uh, unity is uh, not really uniformity. That means Jews have never been uniform in the sense that, you know, every two Jews have three opinions. Uh, this is, a, I think, part of the greatness of the Jewish people, 
that we like to dissent, we like to uh, uh, oppose each other intellectually. We, we like the, uh, uh, sometimes the argument for argument's sake. I think by this, you really can synthesize and you crystallize uh, great ideas and, and good thoughts. Uh, as long, of course, as you do, do it in an uh, amicable way, and as long as you do it through verbal arguments and not as our neighbors around us do it through bullets. Uh, so first of all, this is my main concern, is that what I see now is that the unity, not the uniformity, and I don't, again, we don't need to be uniform, quite the contrary, the diversity is strength, but the unity was in the sense that as, at least some basic ideas and basic ethos is what unites us, whether we are from the right or from the left, where we are from uh, Ashkenazi or from uh, Sephardi uh, descent, where we are from the Kibbutzim, Judea and Samaria. There are some things that have always united us, which was the well-being and the future and the security of the state of Israel. And the well-being of the state of Israel very much depends on the way we can do a national discourse or a public discourse. And um, I am for some things in the reform, but, and I'm coming from the right, I do hold the government responsible. First of all, because they have the power. It is their watch. So they have the responsibility not to split the people apart. They have the responsibility to bring a reform which will be done in a much more reasonable way, not in the same scope that they are trying to. You cannot really push such a reform in terms of the, the scope and in terms of the speed that they are wrecking down the throat of half of the people of Israel. And this is my main concern. I wish there would be a dialogue, and President Herzog, rightly so, called for a dialogue, and uh, the ones who will oppose a dialogue, they will be the blame for the crisis we are in here. We have to remember, we are all brothers. We are not enemies. The enemies are the Iranians. The enemies are the Hezbollah and the Hamas. The en enemies are the, the, those who try to delegitimize us in Ramallah. This is what we remember. So to treat each other as enemies is wrong. It's dangerous. And this is why I would call everyone here to come down and sit together in a room with the president of Israel, Bougie Herzog. Dan Dyker is the CEO of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. I asked him about the threat to minorities if every proposal was passed. And if the Knesset reigns supreme, imagine the swift and peaceful transition of power between successive governments so radically different from one another. Would that be imperiled? if their legislation was never checked and balanced or smoothed over during their terms in office. The threat, though, the idea of a 61-seat majority in the Knesset, uh, we can't have legislation which is not balanced and um, extreme election results over the next few years if the Knesset becomes the superior power. Checks and balances. When power moves from one government to another. It's the protection of the individual. This is the idea of the American system where the individual must be protected against the tyranny of the masses. Absolutely, absolutely right. But here is the rub. The rub in Israel is that we never had a constitution, as you know, 
they see ultra orthodox and orthodox nationalists and and political conservatives led by Mr. Netanyahu driving through the basis of which they actually agree with with, with the with, with, they actually agree on substance with a lot of the problems with our court system. But what has been painful for them is the heavy-handedness in which the the government has sort of driven with a 500-pound sledgehammer this reform program, you know, I'll show you. Uh, Israel is very much an I'll show you political system. Right. Um, and, and so that's what's going on here is this is this power struggle, you know, between the current government and frustrated former Labour Party and and others that have morphed out of the Labour Party into a more centrist position. But they've lost a lot of power and there's an enormous amount of pain associated with that loss. The price of holding the government together may be high. Itamar Ben-Gavir, the most extreme member of the coalition, demanded the setup of a national guard to combat extortion and organised crime in, quotes, mixed cities. He's referring to the unprecedented rioting between Arab Israelis and Jewish Israelis in Lud and Jaffa in 2021. But where will this new level of internal security sit? Under the jurisdiction of the police? or the National Security Minister, and Ben Gavir is that person. His own private militia? Given his extreme statements of the past, worries about the conduct of the National Guard's policing have already begun, even before its introduction. And now President Biden's withdrawing a White House invite to Mr Netanyahu, worried about the direction of travel in the government. We can make our own decisions, shoots back the PM. In just a moment, we carry an exclusive interview with Professor Avi Bell, senior fellow at the Kohelet Policy Forum, the think tank behind the very proposals which have rocked Israel. Very pleased that Dr. Enat Wilf is part of Johnny Gould's Jewish State episode history. She's been a prominent commentator during the judicial reform crisis, and her optimistic, solution-based Zionism is a refreshing listen. Scroll back to episode 99. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, buy him a coffee. He loves coffee at ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. Avi Bell is a professor of law at Bar-Ilan University and the University of San Diego. Professor Bell is also from the Kohelet Policy Forum. Eloquent and well-informed, here he is with both Chuck Freilich and Danny Ayalon, who you both heard from earlier. Some compromise between uh, the judicial aristocracy and traditional parliamentary democracy um, that Israel used to have. The reform packages, in whatever form they're adopted, will improve rule of law and will improve democracy. I think that it's gaslighting to claim that uh, these kinds of reforms will harm democracy or harm the Israeli economy, or as uh, my colleagues in academia are putting out, uh, kill cancer patients or destroy nature in Israel or or destroy the security of Israel. I think what we're seeing is the opposite. I think that we're seeing a package to improve um, Israel's ability to function, especially in the rule of law, that will depoliticize the courts, bring them out of the political arena arena where they've been 
since, since the Barak era and put them back in the business of actually judging according to the law. And I think all that will help Israel's readiness and everything. And the, the extreme reactions in which uh, you have uh, opposition figures claiming that this will destroy democracy and, and encouraging encouraging acts uh, uh, that should not be done, acts of violence, uh, divestment by foreign uh, uh, investors, encouraging people to not serve in, uh, uh, in the army. I mean, I think those are doing great damage to Israel, and I wish that they would stop the gaslighting and start speaking realistically about how it is that we can uh, uh, adopt a reform package that's acceptable to the maximum number of people. Let me try and press back a bit, uh, Avi. Uh, what you talk about is uh, no bounds, judicial control, curbing judicial review, uh, judges seizing unlimited powers. Well, first of all, 18 former Supreme Court justices came out saying that the plan presents a severe threat, not just to the judicial system, but to the essence of government in Israel. The proposed changes may cause a catastrophe. Many Mazuz, a former Supreme Court justice, says the following. This is absolutely Orwellian language. No one should fall into the trap of using the terminology of reform of the legal system. This isn't a legal reform, but regime change. The real objective is to crush Israeli democracy. In Israel, the only and last check against governmental overreach is the court. Uh, the former head of the Shin Bet says that Israel is like a car hurtling towards the abyss. It's regime change, legally turning Israel into a dictatorship. That's Nadav Argaman. Tamir Pardo, the former head of the Mossad, says that this is a catastrophe in the making. Israel's on the verge of collapse, the greatest existential danger in Israel's history. To destroy a country, you don't need to break it down to pieces. We don't need the Iranians. We're doing it ourselves. Uh, the former head of the Atomic Energy Agency says something similar. Just about anyone of consequence in the state of Israel, just about, has come out against this. Uh, Eliakim Rubinstein, who we interviewed a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually two podcasts ago, told it dictatorial democracy. Maybe you're either in a very small professional majority of people who think like you do, or maybe uh, your understanding of democracy is quite uh, limited. And I'll quote something that you said on uh, radio a few years ago. In a democracy, the majority, via its elected representatives, should always have the prerogative in all, prerogative in all matters pertaining to policy. Uh, yeah, that's part of democracy. What about minority rights, uh, human rights? What about rule of law? Yeah, so I, I think that uh, the many quotes uh, that you're giving are examples of exactly the kind of demagoguery that's doing great damage to Israel in regards to this uh, uh, judicial reform package. I think that, uh, um, listen, let's let's separate, let's start with, with, with where you ended, right? Um, it, are human rights and minority rights, are they part of democracy? Well, they're ideally part of a well-functioning government. They're not per se uh, democratic questions. They're liberal questions. And as somebody who believes that the country ought to have liberal, liberal government, that is rights-protecting government, I think that it's extremely important. Um, and I can even understand those who believe that there's a tension 
between uh, democracy and liberal government, that they'd rather sacrifice some democracy for uh, liberal government. Although I don't think that that's what's going on here. I think that we've been sacrificing both liberal government and democracy. And I think that the judicial reform package will help us with both. Um, Again, I think this is gaslighting to claim that uh, somehow or another by giving unlimited powers Uh, judicial figures, and they are unlimited powers, we're going to be protecting minorities or protecting civil rights. That's simply not the record, if you look at it. If you look for, I'll give you just a a simple example. Okay. Mary Madelson wrote in uh, Yisrael Hayom that uh, she opposes judicial reform. And uh, this is because uh, she gave an example. She said she wants to protect freedom of speech. And a few years ago, there was a proposal to um, um, curb Yisrael Ayom's uh, publishing. And um, it ended up not passing the, the parliament, but if it had, she said, she's confident that the Supreme Court would have struck it down. Now, I happen not to be confident that the Supreme Court would strike it down. Um, one of the first laws that was struck down by the Supreme Court when it, after it invented its power to strike down uh, Knesset legislation was that it closed down Sheva. Sheva was a right-wing radio station. Um, and um, the the grounds on which the court decided to strike it down were incomprehensible, frankly. Um, it's the sort of thing that wouldn't be done by any liberal society. I cannot understand how the court allowed itself to do it, um, but yet it did. And um, on the other hand, what happened to the actual Yisrael Ayom bill? It was killed in parliament. It was killed in parliament because the majority of parliament was then and still is now liberal. The majority of the right wing is liberal. The majority of the left wing is liberal. There are extremes in both parties and both camps, I should say, not in both parties, but in both camps um, that are illiberal. I think we have to keep an eye on that. But I also think, by the way, if if it should ever come to be, and I hope it does not, but if it should ever come to be that the majority of Israeli society is no longer liberal, then it is not possible to maintain liberal government on the basis of an aristocracy trying to impose it. Ultimately, if you want to have liberal government, it needs to be by educating people to value these things. And the sort of uh, demagoguery that you're seeing right now in the streets, the, 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 the ruthlessness that behind statements like, you know, the, the, the allies of the court threatening that if these laws are passed, they're simply going to th- discard them as if they weren't there, as if the court is has is not only boundless in its power, but above any law that may be passed. The, the court that gets to, to, to define its own powers, um, um, that sort of thing, I think, severely undermines uh, uh, faith in public institutions. And I think it undermines support for, for liberal institutions. If you want to have rights, there is, I think that this is uh, the most clearly uh, established uh, uh, thing in the in the literature over the years. If you want to have rights protected um, in a society, so one of the things you have to protect, one of the things you have to respect is the autonomy of individuals to choose their form of government, right? And that means that's why that's why democracy is important simply as a matter of a human right, a human right for democracy, which is not respected by the court. And secondly, because, um, and this is uh, something you'll see, for example, in John Stuart Mill, he says, right, uh, if there, who's better to defend the rights of the people than the people themselves? It's not that they're perfect. Democracies don't pr- pr- uh, uh, guarantee 
perfect decisions. But um, courts don't guarantee perfect decisions either. And I would much rather live in a democratic country where we argue about these things and we reach compromise solutions rather than you have uh, having uh, about a dozen self-selected individuals imposing their will upon everyone, which sometimes is liberal and sometimes is not. Sometimes is correct, sometimes is not correct, but is always unappealable afterwards. The, the system we have now is their word is the last word. Fundamentally, this is about individual communities fighting for their place in Israeli society. What kind of Israel do we want to see? A stronger and united Israel. As President Isaac Herzog said, if one side wins, the state will lose. We must remain one people and one state, Jewish and democratic. Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Bringing Israel and the diaspora together.